Why should you visit Kings Island? Do it because less time planning means more time for this. Do it to take a one-day family vacation. Do it to catch a serious case of the giggles together. And of course, do it to eat a funnel cake the size of your face. Because here at Kings Island, doing something just for the fun of it is all the reason you need. Right now, everyone pays kids' price. Kings Island tickets just $45 online. Amazon's got everything you need for your dorm. From everyday essentials and clothing to school supplies to bedding so comfortable, you'll sleep right through your roommate's new hobby. Save on all things college at Amazon. Hello there ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me your host Dan the Viking. We have a request episode ladies and gentlemen and this is running along the same theme of what we have been doing for the last few weeks and that is assassinations of US presidents and this is just to show that the US Again, when we did the Dunblane episode, um, this might come as a bit of a shock to you guys. You do not have the monopoly on assassinating presidents. Um, obviously, we don't have presidents in this case. But in the UK, we actually have a prime minister who was assassinated. But believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, this is not a very common story in this country. In fact, it's not really spoken about at all. If anything, it's just the answer to a pub quiz question in this country now who was the prime minister who was assassinated and the man in question is spencer percival uh, or the right honorable prime minister spencer percival now spencer percival was born on the 1st of november 1762 and he trained as a lawyer who then later entered the world of politics, serving as the British Prime Minister from the 4th of October 1809 until his death on the 11th of May 1812. Unfortunately for Percival, he was not to be remembered for his service in politics, but basically just for how it ended. And he still remains to this day the only Prime Minister ever to be assassinated. What makes this more impressive, or what I would say more strange or bizarre is the fact that not only was he assassinated he was actually assassinated in the houses of parliament so actually where he works you know um or what what they called westminster palace back in the day a still westminster palace but you know now it's known as the houses of parliament um and yeah i mean that's almost like the president getting shot in the white house it's that weird you know it's almost unheard of um percival was born in mayfair to john percival uh, the second earl of egmont and catherine compton also known as baroness arden in other words he was a tough he was very posh and he was born into that um that's quite common for british politics in the day i would say even now i mean even some of our um higher politicians like boris johnson uh, although he's now not prime minister but um some of our higher politicians like him 
you know, they do come from that aristocracy background. Um, but back in the day, back in the 1800s, um, this was pretty much you had to be aristocracy to get into the Houses of Parliament. Um, you know, the uh, Baroness Arden, for example, was the granddaughter of the fourth Earl of Northampton. Uh, he came from title, wealth, family, and had many political connections. He was named after his mother's great uncle, Spencer Compton, who had served as Prime Minister. Meanwhile, his father worked as a political advisor to King George III and the royal household itself. This naturally held him in good stead for a future career in politics. Unfortunately for Spencer Percival, he was not the head of the house or the heir to the throne, and therefore a job in politics wasn't bestowed upon him. He had to go out and work, um, and he left Cambridge and embarked on a legal career, um, entering the Lincoln's Inn and competing, completing his training. Three years later, he called to the bar and joined the Midland Circuit, using his family credentials to require, uh, to acquire a very favourable position in law. Meanwhile, in his private life, both he and his brother had fallen in love with two sisters. Unfortunately, whilst his brother was married, marriage to Margareta was approved by the father, Spencer's marriage to the sister was not. Uh, lacking a title... Uh, which he obviously was because he wasn't the older sibling, um, considerable wealth and a highly acclaimed career, the couple were forced to wait until he was in a better uh, financial or political standing. Um, the two lovebirds left with little choice but to elope. And in 1790, Spencer married Jane Wilson, who eloped on her 21st birthday, a decision which proved very fruitful. They ended up having six sons and six daughters. So, yeah, that's quite a lot. And this was in a 14-year period. You know, they had 12 kids in 14 years. Um, I mean, that's unheard of, really. Um, Percival, meanwhile, was in the midst of trying to establish himself as a legal professional and served in many roles acquired due to his family connections. In 1795, he finally found himself gaining more recognition when he decided to write an anonymous pamphlet advocating the impeachment of Warren Hastings, who had been the general Governor General of India. Um, he was well known for his misdemeanours. The pamphlets written by Percival won the attention of William Pitt the Younger, possibly one of the most famous Prime Ministers in British history, and he was offered a position as Chief Secretary of Ireland. Now, Percival actually turned this down um, because he had more lucrative work that would pay more um, as a barrister, which was £1,000 a year, which is roughly around £90,000 a year today. So, it was you know he had more money coming in but maybe not the the title to go with it um and this was quite a prestigious job anyway um and he was actually the youngest man ever to have this role um percival's political career grew from strength to strength as he was appointed solicitor general and later attorney general under henry adlington's administration though his career maintained largely conservative views uh, steeped in evangelical teachings so he was you know basically a mixture of what we would say puritans and what what we have in this country called tories um he was that sort of uh 
that sort of a standing you know very um very much behind the king and country um and very much into you know taxing the poor and letting the rich off a little bit that sort of uh that sort of a standpoint um this coincided though with this is what we would class now as probably a right-wing view um but he was a massive massive um supporter of the abolition of slavery um in fact he was one of the main people behind abolishing slavery in this country along with william wilberforce um a man who i would 100 percent be doing an episode on at some point in the future um which i would say nowadays would be considered more of a leftist liberal view although i think everyone is probably on the same page when it comes to slavery that it shouldn't exist um it was more of a left-wing view for a conservative to hold um, the the abolition of slavery, but he was a main driving force in this country behind the abolishment. And when he became prime minister, um, he threw thousands upon thousands of British pounds at basically stopping the slave trade into America. Um, in 1796, Percival entered the House of Commons when his cousin, who had been serving in the constituency of Northampton, inherited an earldom and entered the House of Lords. After a contested general election, Percival ended up serving as Northampton um, uh, Northampton MP um, until his death 16 years later. Now, I'm actually recording this in Northampton, so it's quite, uh, quite an interesting fact for you guys there. Um, but yes, he was... Uh, the MP or the Member of Parliament for Northampton for 16 years. Uh, When William Pitt died in 1806, he resigned from his post as Attorney General and became the leader of the Petite Opposition in the House of Commons. Later, he would end up serving as Chancellor of the Exchequer, a position that he held for two years before becoming Prime Minister on the 4th of October 1809. So, we know a little bit about Spencer Percival. But why is his death not spoken about? Now, the funny thing is, or what you've got to remember, is 1809 just happens to be the same year that King George V, the last king of America, and the first king of Australia, decided to have a bout of madness. Maybe some of you have heard that episode, but... The bout of madness threw Spencer Percival in a bit of a bind. He was in a position where he'd just taken over as Prime Minister, but was dealing with quite a lot of problems. And with the King going into his madness and sort of being shut away, he was left with no choice but to put the Prince of Wales, the heir to the throne, in a position of royal power. Now, he wasn't silly. He didn't give him full power. Um, but the the loss of the king took a huge toll on Spencer Percival's um, position uh, as prime minister. This is back in the, the time where the king's decision was just as, if not more important than the prime minister's. Um, whereas nowadays, realistically, the queen has very little power. Um, you add this to the point that he's now almost taken the power away from the king, which doesn't sit well with him as a person because he is a staunch royalist, and it doesn't sit well with a lot of the people in the country. 
Bearing in mind, in 1809, England is at war with France and Napoleon. So, there's a lot going on in Europe. We don't have a king, or we do have a king, but he's incapacitated. The Prime Minister has taken all of the power away from the king and handed it to uh, an heir to the throne. He is also dealing with a lot of problems back at home. The introduction of the um, Industrial Revolution is causing a lot of turmoil back in England, although we look at the Industrial Revolution as historians as one of the greatest things to, to ever happen. I would say that at the time, it was probably one of the worst for the people, especially working class men and women. Um, they were actually... Um, in a position of losing their jobs you know these big machines have come in that can do you know 10 or 15 times what a human can do in the space of uh, you know an hour or whatever um, they have changed revolutionized the textile industry revolutionized a lot of other industries in the in England and it's caused a lot of uprising um, it actually caused so much uprising that one of Spencer Percival's um, ways to counteract what we called uh, breaking, which was people going into factories and just just breaking the machines so that they could actually go back to work. Um, he made it a death, punishable by death, that if you were to break into a factory and you were caught smashing up one of these new machines, um, you could be hung. Um, so again, he wasn't really the most popular person. You then go to the war against Napoleon, which, okay, the British probably were quite enjoying that, I would say. Um, we do quite enjoy beating the French. But in 1809, this wasn't a foregone conclusion that we were going to win this war. Um, France had put blockades on a lot of our, our trade. There was a lot of tension growing between um, Britain and America at this time. And, and the, the War of 1812 attests to that uh, at a later date. There was a lot of problems with getting goods into the country, out of the country. There were men dying overseas. There were riots back at home. And to make matters worse, Spencer Percival was the centre of all of this attention because the king was non-existent or sat in his bed. And this causes more and more problems to Spencer Percival and more and more problems to him as a Prime Minister. And this, you know, as I'm sure you can imagine, he was probably not the most popular Prime Minister. Um, despite this, he did weather the storm. He dodged controversy, uh, managing to put funds for Wellington's campaign together in Iberia. This is obviously the Duke of Wellington. Um, whilst at the same time keeping debt as much lower than his predecessors, um, King George's health um, caused one of the biggest obstacles. But it's safe to say he had a pretty sketchy reign as Prime Minister. But let's talk about what we're here for, the reasons and the man who shot Spencer Percival. John Bellingham, the man who took the life of Prime Minister Percival was imprisoned in Russia for around six years and he believed he was entitled to compensation for that from the British government and 
that was pretty much his main motive behind what he did. He was obsessed with getting compensation. In fact, he was so obsessed with it that his wife threatened to leave him if he carried on, you know, attempting what he was what he was trying to get. They it, they called him mad. Now, at the time, it was more of an insult than what it is now. Um, to to call someone mad could actually land you in a in a loony bin, uh, not as much as it could do today. But the thing with with John Bellingham is, is he was adamant, one hundred percent sure that he was due compensation. Now, when his wife made this threat to him that if he carried on pursuing this, um, she would leave him. He actually stopped petitioning Whitehall, stopped petitioning the government for a payment, and left. You know, he went back to Liverpool, which is where he was from, and carried on with his life for around two years. Unfortunately, due to business and trade and things that were beyond his control, he went out of business and lost everything and this all happened between 1809 and 1811 and John Bellingham decided to return to his previous idea of getting money out of the government and he believed that if he could get his day in court if he could go down to London get his day in court people would realize that actually he's right and he is due some form of compensation now, the way he attempted this in 1811 was slightly different to the way he'd done it previously. Um, he did it with a lot more care and consensus to, to everything about it, rather than rashly protesting Whitehall. He, he went through the legal channels and made the, the correct attempt to get the government into court. He actually made a position two months before he decided to take the life of Spencer Percival. And this petition obviously failed. And this is where John Burlingham was left with very little in his mind than just to really take the fight to the man that he believed was responsible for him not getting the £8,000, and yeah, that's right, £8,000 that he believed he was deserved. Now, Bearing in mind, we said that £1,000 was equivalent to £90,000 today. The fact that he thought he was worth £8,000, which is roughly nearly three quarters of a million pounds, £720,000 today. So basically, he, he over-egged what he was worth. But, you know, that was what he felt he was due from the government. And unfortunately, the government didn't think the same. Now, you do wonder whether John Bellingham acted alone. I mean, he was in central London for around three to four months. This is not a cheap place to live. It wasn't then, it isn't now. And he was penniless. He had no money to his name. His business had gone out of, out of business. He had no cash, no finances, no property. How was he affording to stay in London during this time? Now, obviously, there are conspiracy theories that come up. And, and the main one is 
from a man named Elijah Peck. Now, Elijah Peck was an American businessman who had a vested interest in stopping a major war between England and America. There were a lot of American businessmen that stayed in Liverpool, and they had the same vested interest that a war between Great Britain and America should not happen. Um, Americans were getting more and more increasingly pissed off, is the best way to put it, with the British Royal Navy stopping their merchant ships because that was pretty much what the Britain was doing at the time um, and that was one of the reasons that led to the War of 1812. They could see this war was on the horizon and they believed that if they were to remove Spencer Percival from position of power they could petition somebody not to take it to the next level and start that war. Also, Elijah Peck has links to Russia. Now, bearing in mind, John Bellingham spent six years in a Russian prison. Again, there is that link there, maybe a tenuous link, but the link has been made between the two and whether this wealthy American businessman actually funded John Bellingham's uh, murderous rampage. But we will never know the truth because they're both dead. <laughs> I suppose is the best way of putting it. But we will talk about the actual murder itself. It was around 5 o'clock on the 11th of May 1812 when Percival, needing to deal with the inquiry into the orders in council, entered the House of Commons lobby. There, waiting for him, was a figure. The unknown man stepped forwards, drew his gun and shot Percival in the chest. The incident happened in a matter of seconds, with Percival falling to the floor, uttering his last words. Now, there is controversy as to what his last words were. Some people have said he shouted, murder, murder. Some people said he shouted, oh my God. And other people said that he shouted, murder, oh God, murder. Nobody really knows. I would suggest probably the third one is the most likely because it includes a bit of the both. Uh, unfortunately for Spencer Percival, there was not enough time to save him. And although being carried into the next room with a faint pulse, and by the time the surgeon had arrived, uh, Percival was declared dead. The sequence of events that followed was dominated by fear panic regarding motive and speculation as to the identity of the assassin. The unknown figure had not attempted to escape, and it was soon found out that he acted alone, allying fears of an uprising. His name was John Bellingham, a merchant from Liverpool. Bellingham had sat quietly on a bench while Percival's breathless body had been carried into Speaker's quarters. When he was pressed for answers or a reason for the assassination, he simply replied that he was rectifying a denial of justice committed by the government. The Speaker gave orders for Bellingham to be transferred to the Sergeant-at-Arms in order for a committal hearing to be conducted under Harvey Christian Combe. The makeshift court used MPs who also served as magistrates listening to eyewitness accounts and giving orders for Bellingham's premises to be searched for further clues as to his motive. The prisoner, meanwhile, remained completely undeterred. 
He did not head the warnings of self-incrimination. Instead, he calmly explained his reasons for committing such an act. He proceeded to tell the court how he had been mistreated and how he had attempted to explore all other avenues before turning to this choice. He showed no remorse and by 8 o'clock in the evening he had been charged with the Prime Minister's murder and was taken to prison awaiting trial. This man obviously had a few gripes with the government um, and he obviously had been working as a merchant dealing with imports and exports and in 1802 had been accused of debt amounting to around 5,000 rubles and this is why he was arrested in Russia and the fact that he believed he was entitled to some sort of money caused him a few problems and the the question was asked as to whether Bellingham was mad at the trial. Um, he he denied it categorically. Now, had he have placed an or uh, had he have placed a plea of insanity, it's possible that he would have not faced the death penalty. Um, but Bellingham, a man intent of justice, targeted the man at the top uh, who had only been serving uh, for a few years as prime minister. And he was sentenced to death. And unfortunately for John Bellingham, um, it only took two days for the uh, the jury to make their decision and he was hung. So it's a strange story. Um, there's not a huge amount of, um, you know, a, amount of background to, to the murder, um, the murderer, sorry, as we have with the uh, the American ones. And I think that's mainly due to the fact that, like I've said at the start of this episode, we don't really know about this story. You know, there's not many British people that are aware that we've ever had a Prime Minister assassinated. Um, it happened at a time where we were at war with France, where we were on the brink of war with America, where our king had decided to go insane and live in his own bedroom and it was a very turmoiled time in England and it weirdly enough wasn't that big of a deal you know when we look back at through our history Spencer Percival is just a footnote it's not that big of a deal in our history um, and it probably should be you know it's the only prime minister ever to be assassinated in this country and it was done in cold blood, and it was done in the Houses of Parliament, which is where our MPs still work today. It's, you know, there's not even a memorial for him in the Houses of Parliament. You know, they when they re redecorated, they didn't even put a little plaque down that says, this is where Spencer Percival fell, which they do in a lot of places. You know, even on the HMS Victory that's uh, in Portsmouth Harbour, that's got a plaque on there that says this is where Admiral Nelson fell. But Spencer Percival, the man who run this country, nothing. They just didn't care. Um, and it goes to show, like I said at the start, you know, it is now just the answer to a pub quiz question. What Prime Minister was shot in, in 1812? It's not something we we really care about. And because of that, there's not that much information out there regarding it um which i think is is a bit of a shame um it does go to show though america that you don't have the monopoly on killing 
leaders of countries. Uh, what you may find very interesting, believe it or not, is Henry Bell- Bellingham, uh, a man who's now called Baron Bellingham, is the ancestor of the same Bellingham who committed this murder. Um, he's actually uh, he was a member of Parliament for North West Norfolk in 1983. Um, lost his seat in 1997, but regained it in 2001. Until 2019, he was the MP for North West Norfolk, and he now sits in the House of Lords. But his great 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 grandson, uh, granddad, sorry, was uh, the man who murdered Spencer Percival. So there we go. There's a little bit of a random history there for you. The man. The only man ever to murder a British Prime Minister, his ancestor, now sits in the House of Lords. So, there we go. A little bit of justice, I suppose, for that family. From a a murder that, at the time, was actually not frowned upon by the British public. The British public actually celebrated this murder, which I think is mental, considering he wasn't even Prime Minister for very long. So it is a a bit weird, but... Um, it was almost celebrated that he was he was dead. You know, it was the end of Spencer Percival, which you know I think is a shame. But again, that might be why it is just a footnote in history. It's not uh, not such a major incident as it may may well have been in a different country. I do hope you've enjoyed your time with us this evening or this morning or whenever you're listening to this. I'm actually recording this at eleven o'clock at night. But uh, what time are you listening? So thank you very much for joining me ladies and gentlemen and we do hope we see you next time for another episode of this week in history um if you do have any messages for me feel free to drop them off on uh, at the facebook group which is this week in history on facebook or you can do it via email which is twihpod at gmail.com um for those of you who have requested it now there is a few of you who have requested um certain extra episodes of a more somber tone um and i have taken the advice and i will be bringing out a new podcast which will be called bedtime stories with dan the viking um i have had a lot of requests of people who saying that they find my voice quite soothing they quite enjoy listening to the podcast and a lot of people have said they actually use my podcast to go to sleep to now i'm not sure whether that's a good thing or whether they're saying my podcast is boring or whether they're just saying i well, I soothe people to sleep. Um, but I have had a few messages saying, you know, why don't you try doing stories? Um, obviously, I can't do stories on this format. Um, so I'm going to try my hand at a few bedtime stories um, for people to listen to whilst they go to sleep. So um, that should be coming within the next couple of weeks. So keep an eye out for that. Bedtime stories with Dan the Viking. Um, they will be coming to your ears very shortly. But say it every week. Thank you for joining me. And remember, guys, we all have history. Make yours great. Bye-bye. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm. You're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Excited for a road trip? 
Start it off right with auto coverage from American Family Insurance. J.D. Power ranked us number one in customer satisfaction with the auto insurance shopping experience among mid-size insurers. Get a quote at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. For J.D. Power 2021 award information, visit JDPower.com awards. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. The world is always on. But you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed. At Mattress Firm's Black Friday Now Sale, save up to 60% on Sealy with Queen Mattresses starting at $279.99. Talk to a sleep expert today and unjunk your sleep.